Hello, America, and welcome to a holiday week of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Justin News, where this week we're going to pick four or five of my favorite podcasts of the year, guests that we had whose statements and interviews are timeless, that are relevant, and uh, that I think uh, made a lot of news in the course of 2020. So first up today is Amanda Milius. She is the producer of the great uh, new documentary, The Plot to Get the President, based on Lee Smith's book. The um, Plot to Get the President is one of the most watched uh, documentaries, mini-docs of 2020, and it lays out in great detail a lot of the things that I worked on and Devin Nunez worked on, Jim Jordan, Ron Johnson, Chuck Grassley, uh, Lee Smith, uh, all the great reporters. It's an important uh, show, important segment, and I hope you enjoy it. We'll be back next Monday with regular live podcasts, but until then, enjoy this favorite of mine with Amanda Milius, the producer of The Plot to Get the President. Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as I promised, a very special guest, the producer of the brand new movie, The Plot Against the President, Amanda Milius joins us. Amanda, welcome to the show. Hi, John. Thank you so much for having me. It's nice to be here. Well, congratulations. Your movie is all over the place. I, I, I go down the street and people say, did you see that movie you were in? And I said, yes, I did. Uh, <laughs> that's so awesome. That's good. Congratulations. Thank you. Well, thank you for uh, being a part of it. I think we held you hostage for several hours, and uh, <laughs> it's a good thing we did. I loved uh, it. It was a lot of fun. Because your interview was so, so important. Um, oh, I think you. I told you when I ran into you that uh, when we were trying to edit it down from four and a half hours to 90 minutes, um, frequently we were like, well, we've got to fit this really complex topic into two seconds. And it was like, go to Solomon's bin. Let's oh. see if he talks about it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Well, you did a marvelous job and there were so many great voices in the movie and you took something so complicated and you made it really simple and uh, you tied it all together. It was, it's a real masterpiece of, of uh, film and, and storytelling and of, I think public service too. Now I want to, wow, intro- thank you. I want to introduce you to our audience because uh, you come from a little bit of Hollywood royalty. Uh, yes. you, you did some public service yourself at the state department and elsewhere. And, and now you got this great movie. Uh, tell us a little bit about what it was like to grow, grow up with your dad, John, one of the, one of the greatest screenwriters in Hollywood history. Um, well, it was unique. Uh, yeah, my dad is, uh, John Milius. He, um, wrote and directed a lot of, 
very popular movies in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Um, he wrote Apocalypse Now. He directed and wrote Red Dawn, which is becoming um, sort of the movie. Uh, it's got a real nostalgic moment right now. It does, we're doesn't really, it? Yeah. People are having a Red Dawn moment. Absolutely. Um, which is great. It's one of my favorites. And uh, Conan the Barbarian and Wind in the Lion and uh, a lot of great, wow. um, what great great things that people people on our side really like. I noticed in L.A. and Hollywood, um, you know, you'd get way fewer people kind of, you know, they knew who he was at my film school and stuff, obviously, and like, you know, in the industry. But right. you didn't get people coming up to you saying, oh, my God, your dad made my favorite movie. That only started happening when I moved to D.C. No kidding. Um, yeah, because he, I guess, you know, I, when I met uh, Newt Gingrich, actually, he was like, I love Wind in the Lion. I've memorized it. It's my favorite thing. So I got him a, um, I got him a signed script of that uh, for uh, Uncle Newt there. Um, but, um, <laughs> How cool but, is that? Uh, yeah, it's very cool. Because I mean, obviously, my dad respects these guys so much. And he's, he's really, um, he's, you know, he's, pre he's very right wing. And that was very weird in Hollywood. People didn't, um, there was definitely a tension between his politics and Hollywood, but it wasn't like it is now. If it was like it is now, he never would have had a job at all, or he would wow. have his politics to himself. Isn't which that I amazing to think all these great movies yeah. that wouldn't have been made in the cancel culture of 2021. Wow, crazy! Oh, absolutely. I can't even. Uh, I can't even believe that um, he kind of made it through as much as he did. I mean, they they did pretty much cancel him after. Red Dawn because it was his most I think it was his largest box office movie right and yet he didn't really write or I mean he didn't really direct again or have anything of uh you know I mean he he I think he did um Flight of the Intruder right in the 90s which is I I thought no one saw that movie but apparently it's really big um for the Navy which is great so there <laughs> I've, wow. I've only realized that out here How everybody about that? loves it yeah so that's good niche audiences um, important niche audiences that's important yeah. that's a huge audience well that's kind of what i'm yeah. doing which is just i'm foregoing i just don't care about the hollywood audience at all so i'm just gonna do the dc thing um and and you know uh make movies here i don't have any interest in winning over hollywood because it's just not i i just don't care about them um and he didn't really either you know and i think i learned i learned a lot from him in that way which is just don't like don't care what people think about you and certainly don't care what they say about you. And that's a pretty good lesson to learn when you're sure. really young. Uh, and it allows you to think for yourself and not go along with the, the, the people around you. You know, I don't know otherwise, how, how did I grow up in LA and I'm, <laughs> you know, to the right of Attila the Hun. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's um, I think it was a good lesson. And my mom is conservative too. You know, they're both, um, I think on the board of the NRA and right. my mom was a champion shotgun so shooter. Your mom is Celia um, Kay, the actress, right? Yeah, she's yeah. an actress. And, um, you know, it was, uh, it was, it was definitely a stranger, more, more unique upbringing in the middle of liberal Los Angeles. But, you know, a lot of the best conservatives come from West side LA. Like you've got, um, you know, Steve Bannon spent a long time That's there. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, Andrew Breitbart, literally around the corner from where I grew up. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Miller. Like, I mean, it's all, there's actually quite a lot of really hardcore conservatives uh, from LA. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. You don't, you don't think of that until you start to, to do the list. Yeah. And of course, there was the, the group Friends of Abe, right? For a long time. That, oh, yeah. That, uh, that, 
that was uh that was a trip yeah, yeah. friends of abe is yeah <laughs> I, I think andrew know. was uh yeah. andrew was involved and i actually accidentally outed it in a story i wrote at that, to that point it had been sort of a secret and then i accidentally wrote a story at the washington times that mentioned it and they're like oh my god you outed us and uh who, who that's knew? So, funny. so funny yeah what what great memories so you're you're going to USC. You're in the Fame Film School there. You're doing great. You you have a little thesis short called Lotus Gun, and then you decide to go work for a certain real estate mogul who's running for president, right? Yes, and uh, I basically I was touring my thesis film because it had gotten in about forty different film festivals over the wow. course of a, a year and a half, um, which is kind of what you're supposed to do. That's that's their traditional route, right. you know, to beginning a traditional film career. You go to the film school, you make, you know, your thing, and then you tour it around and and see who bites. And it actually did really well, um, weirdly, because it was a uh, very libertarian right wing theme buried under a couple of concepts that I think people just um, went along with. It was like a post-apocalyptic lesbian weed Western. Wow. Um, and so, <laughs> so there's a mix. A little weird, wow. But, uh, yeah, I, so I I got a lot of really good reviews from like um, outlets that probably will not give good reviews to this one, um, <laughs> but um, but anyway, so I was touring the movie, and then I had all this time off because I was three weeks in town, three weeks out. I wasn't doing a consistent thing. So then during my time off, I was um, obviously really obsessed with what was happening politically. I was supportive of the president from the escalator speech on. I mean, I loved. Everything he was saying, immigration was my number one issue. Um, I was 100% there. And so I started volunteering for the campaign in Nevada because it was the closest swing state. So I would drive out and stay in this crappy little motel and like live there for a few weeks at a time and then work at the, the, you know, the the state office there. And then eventually they hired me and I was just like, I'm just going to do this. And then when we won, um, I thought that was it. I was like, well you know, now I'll go back to LA. But uh, some people on the campaign convinced me they were like, well, you know, you should sign up to work in the administration. And I was like, that's not possible. I've never studied politics formally. Like I have no I I don't even like the government. I don't think I should work in it, (laughs) which I think a lot of Republicans say. And then I was told, you know, no, that's exactly the reason why you should join the administration, because we need people that um, believe in the president and the mission and don't have any connections in D.C. and don't have any reason to sell out the administration for their own agenda. So I left. I just packed up and moved to D.C. to an apartment that I'd never seen and just stayed for three and a half forever. (laughs) I never went back. How about that? That's a that's a transformation. And you worked at the State Department, right? Yeah, so I got hired. So, at the what State was that Department. like? I mean, I, I well, I I wanted it because there was a point when you know people were joining the administration. I had somebody say to me, they're like, "Hey, you should come work at NASA because it's really apolitical. Nobody fights. It's just about you know the mission, space right? stuff, yeah. and it's 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 really chill. It's a really chill government job." And I was like, that's not what I want. I don't want to go where it's relaxed. I was like, I want to go to the heart of like the belly of the beast. Like there's no point in me joining the administration if I'm not going to go fight for the president's policies in the hardest place that we can be in. So that was State Department. And um, magically I got hired. And, uh, you know, I became actually the job that I had made a lot of sense. I was the deputy assistant secretary for content in public affairs. um, Sure. Right up your alley. 
Right, which is like telling the American story, explaining American policies um, in via content. And I don't really think there is anybody else in the administration who could do that. I don't think there are any other filmmakers in the administration. Yeah, probably not. I can't think of any. Yeah, so I think I had a, I happened to land in the right place. So I was, I was in charge of that sort of department of the uh, creatives in government, if you can imagine, yeah. uh, which was, which was pretty cool. So, so that was good. But then you know, you spend as a political appointee, you spend half your time fighting out political issues and half your time doing your actual job. I mean, right. the amount of time you spend fighting the swamp creatures and not just the, you know, what you would expect, which would be like the career um, folks, which most of the time actually weren't, you know, the problematic ones were really problematic, but most of them are, are not, you know, especially in my department, not really a problem. Um but the, the people who joined the administration to subvert it, that's really where the big problems are. The bad politicals are worse than, um, you know, 10 bad careers wow. because they can do so much damage. Well, there's something you don't hear every day. So so the Trump administration appoints people that actually is working against it. Is that? I mean, we've seen that all the time. Yeah, we have. You've got the anonymous yeah. person and then you've got um, – and then for some reason, especially at state – we keep promoting people who outwardly work against the president. Um, I have no idea why some of these people are still uh, even allowed in the building. Wow. I mean, you know, you know, you you and I certainly know a handful of folks. Uh, uh, we won't mention, but yeah. you know, I, I saw. Listen, I saw a lot of things where the president would give an order, and then someone wouldn't carry it out, and you wonder, well, how can that be? I mean, he's in charge of the government. The Constitution says he's in charge, and then you'd find out that uh, his his order, his wish, is instruction wasn't followed out. And I guess this explains it, right? You've got sort of two pots, right? You've got the career people, and then you've got the political people that are not on the same page as the, as the administration. And that makes for a pretty powerful alliance. And I assume when you start to see that at work for a while, right? You're, you're in the State Department, what, two or three years, I think, uh, if I remember correctly? Yeah, three years. three years. I mean, and the other, the other thing, you know, that you said uh, well in the film, which is another reason why they didn't carry out his orders, is because half of them were convinced he was a Russian asset. Wow. And that's the danger in doing this information warfare on the entire population is Such that includes point. government officials, right? Yeah. And so you're, you're like, okay, well, this is what we're going to do on this issue. And, you know, a, a percentage of the people that you're trying to get that you need to pull the levers of government and make things work are sitting there going, oh, well, I, I saw on CNN tonight that, you know, the president and all his people are, are compromised Russian assets. So I'm just going to I'm just going to decide, you know, I'll just do what right. I want to do and just carry on the last administration's policy. Right, right, right. And so you're fighting this massive uphill battle and it's impossible. I mean, I had a conversation with somebody the first year I was in state. It was the craziest conversation I've ever had. It was, I was trying, you know, luckily I didn't have, uh, this person didn't have any authority really, but they were completely convinced uh, that the administration was, was going to be gone within six months. This is the messaging that they were putting out. And if anything, it just made it impossible to govern. Right. So, you know what I mean? They're, they're like, oh, well, we just have to wait these crazy people out for six months and then we can do what we want. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, and it's the just, clock. that's so dangerous. There's nothing yeah. more dangerous. And if you're in government, you're like, you know, you're, you're going to give the credence of uh, uh, or you're going to accept the FBI's word that, oh, there's something wrong here. That's why we opened up a counterintelligence investigation. It takes three right. years to find out you really shouldn't have trusted that investigation. It was a ruse. And um, it's remarkable. And that was the point. You yeah, know? I exactly mean, the, the point. 
I, I yeah, so it's it's they've succeeded. I mean, a lot of people are like, okay, thank God they didn't succeed. But they and, already and did. And I kind of say, well, they did because yeah. we were in government, and it's it's actually really amazing that the administration was able to do so many um, of these, accomplish so many of the things that they did, considering they were fighting with both hands uh, the entire time, either the Russia hoax or the Ukraine hoax or you know whatever it was. Um, it, it was just made things so much more difficult. Yeah, it's amazing. So I assume that that context, seeing that play out, you know, the politicos against the president because they believe the FBI was probably right about the Russia thing. and Or they were just out for themselves. I mean, yeah. that's the other thing is if you hire one Bushy, right. which is what we talk about, um, <laughs> they hire themselves. They'll get all their friends in government. If you, if, I mean, you know, I, just to be fair, I'm not talking about not all, not all Bushies, but most Bushies. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> are really terrible and they get they get in government and then they hire everybody they ever knew in washington wow. who've been living here for the last 10 years and Hence my the swamp uh, dynamic. You know, rick Rinell says what was that the swamp dynamic you bring all your yeah, friends exactly. in. exactly yeah. and rick says the best thing which i think is absolutely true which is no more people with dc addresses in the government like we absolutely need people from all over the country real people real america real people who have real jobs and who know how the economy works so and, interesting um, yeah, that's what we need. That's wild. All right, so you get this context, right? You're watching these sort of two layers of government, the, the anti-Trump political layer and the uh, permanent bureaucracy layer. Does that give you some context to take the leap and say, I'm going to go make a movie called The Plot Against the President, which, of course, is based <laughs> on Lee Smith's great uh, movie. But how much was the experience on the inside of government in influencing or influential in your decision to go make a movie like this? Well, I think it helped in the fact that I knew a lot of the players either by either directly as actual uh, associates and friends of mine or coworkers um, or, you know, one step removed. And so I think I had the trust of a lot of the first person um, sources that were either featured in Lee's book or were, um, or, you know, extended extended folks that we we added in um, because they knew that I was coming from you know, you can't fake that. Like you can't right. work in the Trump administration for three and a half years and not be pretty MAGA. Um, uh, I think it's, I think, I think I, that for that reason. And then also because I made it pretty clear that I wasn't going to, no matter what, I wasn't going to sell the movie to some giant corporation and let them re-edit it and make everybody look like idiots. Right. Um, so, so the, I think for that, so being in government, I think helped kind of a understand the, the way that government works and also to have been somebody who didn't come from government. So I think I'm good at explaining how it works to people who aren't in DC and in government because it's a very complicated web. It's a, it's a mess. So, um, I think for that reason, I had a good perspective on it. And then it just kind of became, you know, not to sound too, uh, dramatic or, or ridiculous about it, but. I think I just realized I had to do it. I don't think there's anybody else that was going to be able to do it because there, again, there's not that many filmmakers in yeah. the administration sure. or in, in, on the right. Like a lot of the, um, the films that get made on the right, which is, you know, thank God they do. We need more of them. But a lot of it is like an issue focused person who decides they want to, who's, who decides they want to make a movie. Um, who decide? you know, it's, it's more like, okay, well, I really care about, you know, the Second Amendment. And so I'm, you know, a Second Amendment person. I'm going to make a movie about the Second Amendment. Instead of coming at it from a film, I'm a filmmaker who happens, to, you know what I mean? Like I'm a yeah. film person. You're a storyteller. As opposed to a political person, yeah. uh, you know, going into filmmaking, which is, 
you need both. There's nothing wrong with either. You need both. But I think for that reason, um, I, uh, when the, when the opportunity came up, I, I realized I really had to, um, even if I didn't really want to, I mean, you know, I left my nice cushy government job, um, <laughs> at, uh, the first week of Corona or something mm-hmm. to try and start my own business and make a movie that was going to make me the target of all of the people that just tried to take down the president. So I was like, this was a little bit of a crazy idea, but, um, you know, it needed to happen. It worked out. I'm amazed we got it done in time, frankly. It was um, remarkable watching you in action because uh, you were crunching right down to the last minute. But when you yeah. when you got this done, uh, how do you boil this down? I mean, one of the things in talking to middle America who have busy days, right? They're worried about their kids and soccer and COVID and school and work and double jobs and paying the bills. How did you boil down and what is the boil down message, the elevator speech of, what is the real storyline of the plot against the president? Well, I would say, I mean, yeah, that's exactly why I made it, because people don't have time to put, you know, uh, a flow chart together on their living room wall, um, you know, of everything yeah. that happens. And I, I would say it was both an offensive and a, de- a defensive maneuver by, um, you know, the Obama administration, the DNC, the Hillary campaign and the intelligence agencies and the FBI. I mean, you just list the bad guys list is so long. It's not a good elevator pitch. But by the bad guys, um, to a number one, um, delegitimize an administration and a president that they thought threatened their way of life and their hold on power, and b to cover up and distract from their crimes. Because actually, I think you say it very well in the movie, which is that it is both a offensive and a defensive um, maneuver this 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 right. Russiagate hoax because it was both an aggressive uh attack to against the Trump administration and, and the president and himself and his close associates and also a you know flash bomb uh look over here don't 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 get don't get uh any time to dig into our crimes um maneuver because yeah. it really was both right and we see more of that every day right now we know uh, since the movie was made that the CIA believed that Hillary Clinton had authorized this dirty trick to vilify Trump and to take attention away from her own liabilities with email and Russia and other things. So uh, that that storyline, which is you know so poignantly created in your movie, is even more affirmed now by the release of that declassified document recently. So it is Hillary playing defense to protect her own liabilities and then going on offense to destroy the president's opportunity to one, win the election. When he wins the election, destroy the opportunity to succeed as a president. When you 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 have uh, it's a your movie is this incredible story that has a million little stories in it. What's the yeah, what's yeah. the one anecdote that you think most explains the the villainous nature of the plot against uh, against Trump? How how all these forces colli- uh, colluded together to? Is there one anecdote that you learned in the course of this from either Lee's book or from the um, various witness subjects that just cements it all together for you? Just how villainous this all was. Well, I'd say there's well, there's there's two. There's the most villainous thing, but also I should mention what I wish we had more time to go into, which is the in the movie, which is what you told me about the poll um, that Hillary had done that or the DNC had done that that sorted out that um, right. Hillary's biggest weakness was Russia and her reset and her corruption uh, related to Russia, and that that's why no matter who the Republican candidate was, they were going to pin some kind of Russian thing on them, and that it was pre-cooked even from then. I mean, that was a pretty complicated beginning, and I wish that, um, you know, again, 
the the four and a half hour version of the movie is going to be, which we're going to put out in a series of um, of eight little mini mini series, um, is uh, has a lot more in those different areas that people can delve into, and that's one of the things that I think is really important. Um, and to give you credit, that's in your that's in your book, and I talked about that last night actually. Um, the other, the most villainous thing, though, I would say is what they did to General Flynn. The fact that all of these agencies could coordinate together um, from Susan Rice helping to unmask the Trump uh, campaign officials and their and their daily lives uh, that had nothing to do with Russia, um, all the way to the FBI agents um, altering yeah. the, 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 uh, the 302s, the way that they did the interview with Michael Flynn and now the Justice Department, um, everything that the Justice Department did and then even down to the judge himself um, refusing to let the case go. I think it's it touches almost every area of government and it's a micro it's like it's not a microcosm, but it's the individual um, example of what they're doing to the president and the administration on on a whole, uh, which is why we use Flynn, of course, as the the through line and kind of the character who goes through this entire process. Um, you know, it's very, it's, he's very sympathetic. And, and I, I would say that that's, that's the worst thing to me is, is how, is what they've remarkable. done to Michael Flynn. You think about now that the analysts on the front line were worried that they needed liability insurance because they thought what they were doing would ultimately get them sued. And the yeah. lead FBI agent worried he was going to come under investigation because he kept seeing his bosses, overrule or, or not follow the law and continue to pursue Flynn when the law said there's no wrongdoing, leave him alone. Uh, it just brings a chill up our spines to think that that was inside our government and that was the crushing power yeah, of the state and I, carrying I that out. I hope they do get sued and I hope they all lose their houses and I hope that <laughs> their families are destroyed and I hope that they have to rebuild the entire agency and department from scratch. And I, I think that I don't feel sorry for them at all. If they were having those conversations about having liability yeah, insurance and all that, up. they should have said something and done something. But instead, they let the integrity of their um, their beloved institution go down the drain. And I don't mind saying really harsh things like that. You know, some people are like, well, you know, it's just some bad apples. I don't care. Um, I, I it's too you know, one of the things you talked to, to me about was, um, you know, your story of those guys that came and talked to you and they said, um, you know, these tools that the American public has entrusted us with, uh, you know, such as FISA and tools like that are meant to keep us safe. And they always hide under this, you know, ridiculous pretext of, oh, we're, we're, we're here keeping you safe. We sure. can't tell you what we're doing, yeah. that it's in Trust your best us. interest that we don't give you this information and keep you safe. I yeah. don't see how them spying on me and my phone is keeping me safe. And yeah. I don't really feel very safe with the FBI being the way that it is and the same with the intelligence agencies they they don't make me feel safe at all and i would feel a lot safer if they didn't exist and were rebuilt from scratch that's an interesting uh, you know there are a lot of people i'm talking to that feel the way it's hard for me i grew up in a law enforcement family so you grew up in hollywood i grew up right. in, in a well my uh, brother's my brother's a da so ah, he's probably uh, how about that um, horrified <laughs> yeah you know i grew up with eight fbi agents sleeping on our couch or dea agents hanging out the house and, and it was sort of you know i grew up in this culture of blue and yet in the in the course of that it, it's become clear that the generation that runs these agencies and have risen to the top are not the same guys that were sleeping on my dad's couch and and in you know, catching no. bad guys 20 25 years ago somehow 
um, the culture has changed for the worse. And, I, and I, you're on to something that I think there's a watershed moment coming for these agencies about whether they're on the right course or so far off course that they need to be deconstructed and reconstructed. So, Well, yeah, and I want them to exist because I want sure. them to protect us from terrorists yeah. and from, from all of the threats that we face. But right now, um, we are, America is, is the threats are, are foreign and they're also from them. Because if you're sure. a person who's got a, a member of the wrong political party right. and friends with the wrong people and voted for the wrong person, you are just as in danger of having your life destroyed by the intelligence agencies and the FBI as you are by any foreign actor. And yeah. so that's a, that's the, that we're at, that's the end of the line. It's like an that's, amazing that's thing it. to think like about. Yeah. I mean, and, yeah. and, and you've, you've put it that way as well. I mean, having a false reality created about you losing your job, losing your ab ability to do anything that is destruction. Like what's, what, you know, what foreign actor is doing that, you know, sure. who, who's more likely to do, to do that? The, the activists in the FBI or, or a foreign actor, I'd say it's pretty equal. Yeah, um, no, I agree. Which is really dangerous. I agree. These are these are troubling times, and you know, there it's funny. There are people on all sides of the political spectrum that can see it. They're the the longtime libertarians and liberals who have had this concern about the rising growth of power and the possibility that it would be politicized as opposed to used for good things. Then you've got conservatives who long have been pro law enforcement that <laughs> watch this plot carry out and. Uh, they, there was a moment in, in the not-so-distant future where they could theoretically merge and, and create a cataclysmic change to these uh, institutions, but time in this election will tell us. So um, as you look out, and we've got a few more minutes here, I just want to ask you this question. Um, after all you've done in the movie uh, and the storytelling, all you saw on the inside of government, what do you see is at stake in this election? We're, we're 15, 14 days away from election day, two weeks from today. Uh, what what do you see as the ultimate stakes in this uh, 2020 election? Well, I guess I would say, I mean, to to stay in my lane um, uh, regarding as as like so as the person that put the film together, um, I would say I'm, I'm going to try and not think about it in a partisan way, because I think that's where they've been able to pull off a lot of this this hoax mm -hmm. is to convince most of the country that if one group believes one thing, your job is to believe the opposite. Right. And that's what's made it so hard. So I would say what's at stake is our as a country connection to reality. We don't have any um, uh, news sources. Our institutions are nearly destroyed and there's going to be a lot of rebuilding that needs to happen. And, um, I don't see that happening, uh, unless there's some major, um, I guess I would say consequences for, for the last, for what happened, for what, for what all of these people did in the last three years for, for these various hoaxes and, and pretend investigations right. and abuses. Um, so I would say that our entire, republic is really at stake um it's it sounds annoying because who who doesn't say that every right, election right. i mean every election since i've been alive it's the most important election but it really is um it really is and and something has to come from this or else they're only going to be encouraged if they don't actually lose all their power then they're why why would they stop Great they point. could just keep creating yeah. hoaxes and it's it's practically free Becomes, for them yeah becomes the new reality. I mean, this will become the new the new way forward. Um, you you laid out so articulately all of the wrongdoing in this movie and and the misuse of power, the abuse of power. 
Um, well, it's because I had good subjects. Yeah. Who are, but there's a reason I don't interview myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a great storyteller. Let me tell you that. The um, uh, when when you look at this, the the we're now two weeks from election day. Nothing's going to happen at the Justice Department to any other people other than the one FBI ex FBI lawyer that got charged with a crime. What is the consequence of going into the 2020 election day without having punished the people who carried this out in 2016? How frustrated are you? And what's the long-term consequence that, at least up to this point, a lot of people got away with stuff? I mean, we're kind of screwed. Like, because no matter what happens in the election, like I said, if you don't punish these people, they're just going to keep doing it. And they're, they're going to keep doing it to anybody. I mean, imagine the audacity of this FBI to to literally, and, and the news outlets, after all of this has happened, after everything has been proven untrue about the various hoaxes, to go out there and say that Hunter Biden's laptop is Russian disinfo, it's almost self-parody. Yeah. I mean, they ha someone has to have laughed when they put that together, where you're like, did they put the meth pipe in his mouth too like was that a russian pl what are you talking about i mean yeah. i'm gonna start using that every time i get in trouble for anything or i do something stupid yep. i'm just gonna say it was russian disinfo yeah. because apparently that's something you could do and i mean that's yeah it's sorry not to i, I go on the, the tangent no, but, it, but yeah i mean obviously they haven't been punished and this is basically we're gonna live in non-reality that's the that's the outcome is that we're gonna be sitting here and every single time there's any breaking news about anything You'll never know if it's real or not um, unless you personally know what actually happened. And um, and half the country is always just going to believe the opposite. Yeah, it's a frightening concept, isn't it? Now, you, you've, you've got this great movie under your belt. It's getting rave reviews. A lot of people are talking about it. It, it really has become a, a, a very compact storyline to understand this very complex narrative of the plot against the president. What's next for you? What, what do you how do you top this? <laughs> well, I never thought I was going to make movies again anyway. When I left the uh, yeah. when I left L.A. and I moved to do politics, uh, I really didn't expect to do a movie again. Um, I didn't really actually want to initially because it's a, it's a lot of work. Right, right. <laughs> and it's really hard. And uh, I thought I would just produce and I wouldn't direct anymore. But we need, we realized we had, I had to, I mean, I, I had to, there was no other way to do it. This movie right. had to be done. I'm the only person that could have really done it. I just didn't trust anybody else. So, um, so I mean, right now my little company is actually growing. Uh, the company 1AMDC that I created to make this movie, actually we're getting a lot of um, interest both on the talent end and on the project. And there's a lot, a lot, a lot of people that want a, um, capable production company to, to make things that's, um, you know, that's, that's got a taste level that I would hope is, is, you know, on par with, with more of the higher end, um, products that are coming out of, out of Hollywood, but sure. not with the agenda. No. So there's a real hunger for that because this entire audience has not been served by Hollywood. So, Great point. um, we've got a, we've got a lot of really good projects coming up that I'm producing. Um, and a lot of talent reaching out to us saying, you know, really, really, really top talent saying, um, I want hey, it, huh? you know, yeah, like this is what I do. I'm, I'm secretly right wing and I can't tell anybody in my industry, but I'd love to come work on this. So we've got a really amazing, um, thing coming together. So I would say there's a lot of interesting projects on the horizon that we're already, already in production on. So there's going to be a lot more. Um, I think I'm just going to cultivate this, this little, little company that I created to do this movie. Apparently cool I thought it'd that? be 
just one thing, but now it's going to be a lot more. So that's yeah, good. Yeah, no, it's an amazing opportunity. Uh, is there a Biden story in the future for you? <laughs> um, I think I'm going to take a break for yeah. a minute, but, um, but yeah, well, there's going to, I mean, luckily DC is really, um, a constantly, uh, churning, um, oh, yeah. source for stories. So there's yeah, no, there's no, there's, doubt. there's no end. Of, why so many uh, great television dramas have been based on DC, right? Why we had the West yeah, Wings and all you know, endless, it's... uh, corruption and good guys and bad guys. And, uh, actually one thing I can mention is that I'm, I'm going to, um, this winter, do uh, I think I'm going to co-write a book about um, Hollywood and China's influence there. Wow! So I think that's a really important issue, and it sure I've seen is. it pretty up close. So um, I think that's that's got to get that's got to get dealt with. Wow, that's fantastic! Uh, tell people how they can see this movie because uh, the Amazons of the world aren't yet embracing it. Uh, imagine that. Yeah, I mean, it was supposed to be live on Amazon, Amazon Prime uh, five days ago. And conveniently, they have told us something that our distributor says he's never seen before. And he has hundreds of titles on Amazon, which wow. is we're under an extended content review. Mm, um, and I believe they're also doing that to Dinesh's movie, although I'm not sure. But I think they're so it's, uh, you know, anyway. Uh, so in the meantime, what I would suggest is follow us on Twitter um, go to our website, which is www.patpmovie.com, which is Plot Against the President movie. Um, and we've got a Watch It Now link, which will always be updated with more platforms. Right now, Vimeo On Demand is the best place to see it. Um, That's where I watched it. And yeah. yeah, Vimeo On Demand is great. It looks beautiful. And we also have two streaming platforms linked on our website that are free speech friendly. It'll never be taken down. It's a really great place for political content. And both of those platforms launched with us um, as their wow. first. So as their first what product. are those platforms? Uh, the platforms are mymoviesplus.com uh -huh. and um, specialproject.io. So those are both also linked there if you want to support a right. free speech friendly platform. And Vimeo on demand, you can watch it on your TV, you can watch it on um, your laptop, et cetera, et cetera. And it's playing in theaters, actually. If you also click um, on our website, we're adding five more theaters every week. Wow. So if you want it in your town, it's playing. And we're, we're starting with middle America and then going out as opposed to the other way around. Um, this is the anti-Hollywood movie. So we're starting in, <laughs> starting in South Dakota and going out as opposed to New York and LA and going in. So uh, it's playing in about... Uh, eight different cities across America right now, and it grows every day. So check the uh, link. Congratulations! It, buy it, tickets. It's a it's Thank a you. it's a real labor of love you did, and it's an amazing story. It's told so well. It's visually compelling. It, it's got a great frame for a storyline. You can really understand it, folks. If you haven't seen it, do it before election day. It's worth it. The plot against the president by the amazing, the one and only Amanda Milius. Thank you so much, Amanda, <laughs> for joining us today. Let's have you back on soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much, John. This was so fun. Ah, same here. All right, folks, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. 
Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, that wraps up my favorite interview with Amanda Milius. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. I think we're going to have, yep, Devin Nunez tomorrow, staying on the theme of Russia. We had several good interviews with him, but this interview I picked out is, I think, the most relevant and most current when it comes to revelations in the Russia case. Hope you enjoy it. We'll be back tomorrow with another favorite edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. Just the News.